Welcome to the Epsilon Theory Podcast with Dr. Ben Hunt. Please stay tuned for some important disclosures presented at the end of this episode. Ben, what did you think of that song? That's, that's, that's our new opener by Joe Bonamassa, friend of our firm. I'm a, I'm a fan. So, so I, I found out about, about Joe, um, as you mentioned, so someone who works with our firm. Uh, but then I saw that that special. I think it was um, PBS of all places. Yeah. I think had a special like live at the Greek yeah, or something. Yeah, that's right. Is that, anyway, he's a neat story, and it's it's it's, it's phenomenal. It's yeah, really good. real authentic uh, blues player, and uh, one of the, one of the best. Uh, that that's his song "Going Down." That'll be our new opener. Um, welcome back, of course, to the Epsilon Theory podcast. We're in Las Vegas. Ben, uh, we've got a special guest today. You want to introduce him? We do. So it's uh, it's my friend Devin Anderson, who's uh, managing director at Deutsche Bank, uh, equity derivative sales. I think that's it. Yes, Devin, sir. Is that right? So look, I've I've been wanting to have Devin on this podcast for a long time, and that's because uh, Devin is um, uh, Devin is one of the most innovative people I know in this business that we're in. Uh, but like so many Epsilon Theory readers, listeners, etc., he is also of the world. And, and what I mean by that is, is that uh, Devin you know, obviously has a position of significant responsibility at Deutsche Bank. So he's, he's, he has these responsibilities. But at the same time, in my conversations with Devin, uh, you know, we're always looking for ways to innovate in this in this business that we're in, and so the, the the title of this podcast is going to be "Does It Fly, Really?" <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it's based on this this biography that uh, David McCullough has out. So uh, you know, one of our um, you know, uh, you know, friends of the firm, also David Salem, had recommended the book to me, and I it's one of those I've got by the side of my bed and I'd never read it. You know, it's that stack that we all have, ten feet high. But I, but I, but I finally dug into it, and it's just, it's a masterpiece, right? But it, but it's, it, the, the parts that spoke to me, Devon, were about uh, innovation, right? And there's also some, some good pieces there about how the government is really out to get you. So, so there, there's some good pieces in there. I the book as well, but, but it was really the pieces about innovation that really spoke to me, and, and so that, that's why I wanted to have you on the podcast, Devin, because both of us are trying to, I'll say, uh, improve <laughs> for our clients and for our business what the, the way that business is done, right? The strategies and the investments that people actually do and trying to make those better. You know, at, at the same time, because we, we are also managers, we also, if not inundated might be too strong a word, but maybe not, we get pitched a lot as well with with uh, how other people want to improve the business, right? And and so it's incumbent on us both to to sell to convince other people that yeah these ideas we have it does in fact fly, uh, but at the same time right we're also trying to evaluate other people who come to us and we're we're asking them well does it fly does it really how 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 do how do we know, and and we'd like to think that. Well, it's easier if you're dealing with something mechanical, like an airplane. But if, if the McCullough book says one thing, is that, you know, depending on the day, if you had gone out to Kitty Hawk as a potential investor, you know, the, the mechanical world is, is no less a uh, clear indicator of whether something flies or not, right? And there were certainly days at Kitty Hawk where you've gotten out there and you said, oh, well, this is a joke. I'm not, no way I'm going to put my money into this or, or, or get involved. So it's, 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 whether you're talking about the, the, the physical world or our world of investments, this question of does it fly, really? <laughs> yeah. How do you know? It's, it, it's so important for, for, for what we do. And, and along the way, we'll have a chance, I, I know, to tell you lots of uh, good Vegas anecdotes and the like. So with that, I, I'm just going to say welcome, Devin, and just, just great to have you here. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for having me. I, to me... There's a, a group of people involved in the investment business that are kind of uh, the standard bearers for truth-telling and, uh, and trying to separate you know, narrative from fact and just trying to do uh, the right thing for the right reasons. Uh, and you, know, y- you, are, you are at the lead of that. And so, I mean, it's really a great honor to, to be here. I am speaking here solely of my own I am of my own opinion today. Uh, these are just my personal views, not 
not the views of Deutsche Bank. Um, and uh, you know, anything I say here is really just me and my opinions. You know, I I don't know if you remember, but uh, the way we came to know each other was I was forwarded one of the early Epsilon Theory notes before you were at Cellian. I think you were mm -hmm. just doing it on your own. That's right. Uh, and I read the manifesto, and then I read, I think, Rise of the Machines. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and I was like, wow, I, you know, I think this guy is onto something. And it, and it and it spoke to me because I I had intuition for this notion of of narrative versus truth, but I didn't really have a framework with which to articulate it yet. And uh, it spoke to me on those dimensions. So I cold called you. I think you were at that time you were putting like your cell phone on the notes. Oh, I was absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I called you and I said, do you want to come and speak at a conference, a trading <laughs> conference at Deutsche Bank? I remember this well. Yeah. And and to be honest, we, we didn't know who you were. Like you could have showed up and been, you know, tinfoil hat crazy guy, uh, you know, but of, of course you aren't. We talked on the phone first because I, I had to make sure. But uh, um, but actually, in total coincidence, that phone call, our first phone call, I was actually here in this hotel. At the Wynn? I was here at the Wynn the first time we spoke. Um so, so, so Devin and I are both here at the at the win for for an equity derivatives conference. Um, Devin spoke, and I, I, I spoke as, as as well. I, you know, Vegas to me is such a funny place, and and we're going to get into the to the story about you know does it work and talking about back test and 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 the like. But it's I, absurdity wrapped in elegance. This place, yeah. Well, at the win, at least. At the at the, at the win, at least. I, I don't know, but you, I always get a little down. I get tired and a little down when it, when 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 I come to Vegas. Right, and I, I was trying to, to put my finger on why that is, and, and of course, part of it is is that you know I played some poker yesterday, and I and I played like a complete donkey, you know, and it, at least at least my game has developed to the point where I can recognize where I'm playing poorly, because everyone thinks, oh, I'm a great poker player, you know, I just got bad beats, you know, everyone thinks they're a good poker player, just like everyone thinks they're, yeah. you know, a good trader or a good investor. Yeah, I mean. I th when it comes to poker, the demise of online poker really, I mean, it's such an upsetting thing. But that really separated the people that knew what they were doing from everyone else, right? Because you sit in a casino and, you know, for six hours and you play maybe four important hands. You know, when you're playing at a rate of 10,000 hands a month or something, you know, you figured out real quick if the P&O line was going right, down right. or up, right? So, right. like, it washed out the good ones from the bad ones. But, you know, to me, poker anymore, unless I sit, start a new table three or four guys I know, and, you know, we can have a good time at it. I mean, right. casino poker is a pretty tough proposition these days. I mean, you're in there grinding it out. Yeah, it feels like every guy has got the basics covered, you know, and even if you do get a weak spot at the table, he's got six guys attacking him. Um, That's right. You know, and then you got, you know, the guy with the hoodie and the glasses. And it's just like, <laughs> like, what, what I'm going to spend three hours doing this. Yeah. yeah. You, you, what are you doing? this? But, you know, you walk over 10 feet and throw some dice. Now, now we're now talking there's... about a good time. That's right. Right. That's right. So I joke with my friends that, uh, you know, they're like, let's go. Play. I don't have time for poker. I'm, o I'm only here a day and a half. I can't and I can't put six hours into that with, you know, with the guy that looks like the Unabomber. I can't do it. To me, it's like going to play golf at a uh, conference. Right. <laughs> you know they're getting rid of the golf course here. No, I did not. Yeah, yeah. the golf course is going to be gone, and they're going to—they're putting a man-made lake, boardwalk. It's going to be like a, an attraction. But uh, you know, I mean, this is kind of a historic golf course. Um, here from the original property, I'm, I'm a little—I'm a little sorry to see it go, but you know, money talks. Yeah, money, money, money does talk. But you know, it's—it's it's interesting. You know, I've tried to write about this also. My problem, I think everyone's problem with poker, is that you get bored. And so you start playing more hands than you should, right? You you yeah. over, you you overemphasize the ability of other players to to pay attention. So, so so my favorite you know casino poker vignette is some I don't know one two table. It was in you know a Connecticut casino, and uh, you know we play in and it was just it's like okay I, and, I, and I made a bad bet and I ended up winning. And so one of the the, the, the guy who, who who lost that hand, he was so angry. Yeah. He was so he was so angry, and he looks at, me, hey, couldn't you, I've been playing so tight for the past hour? You know, what, didn't you didn't you see that? Yeah. And what, yeah, right. It's like, D 
dude, this is a one-two game in a casino. You think that we're paying attention to how tight you're playing? Yeah. You think you're setting up yeah. this reputation here? I mean, it's but, almost better. Get it in bad, suck out, and and, and, and go, go get a drink. <laughs> that's like, right. That's, that's, that's almost right. better in the one-two game, right? It, 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 it totally is, but... Uh, yeah, I'm still I'm still a sucker for this. At stuff. least at least getting in bad would be a little exciting. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Instead, exactly. I'm looking at some guy with casino chips hanging off his cowboy hat, betting in increments of eleven. You know, <laughs> that guy exists. He's out there. Oh, oh, I know he is. I know he is. So, that, but you know, it gives us an opportunity. So, so one thing that the the, the listeners will, will will come to understand with Devin after a while is he he has forgotten more about derivatives and the, the the lingo and the language than than I've ever known so you know we, we we'll have an opportunity in this in this conversation to to throw around ten dollar words like variance and you know expected return and the like it's 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 a great opportunity to have you here to explore some of these things because I I, I think that these these basic concepts like variance you know they're 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 used as kind of a, a magician's uh, cant sometimes. You know in 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 in, in our business you uh, know, to obfuscate I, I, more than it. So I, I can't agree more. So let me, to make an analogy, I worked in the technology business before I was in finance, and specifically I started as a technician, uh, you know, setting up networks and programming router switches and bridges. If you go to Cisco's website as a technical guy. You can learn anything you want to learn about how to set up a network and program a router, switch, or bridge. Literally, it's all there. Mm -hmm. Cisco just tells you, mm -hmm. right? The finance business is intentionally structured to obfuscate data. Intentionally. And, and, you know, we, we, and everyone loves their vocabulary. And then you throw narrative, uh, in, you know, this phrase that you use, narrative mm -hmm. mediation, in on top of that, along with people's, you know, ranging from unwillingness to share or fear of revealing incompetence. And it's very difficult to learn this business. You know, I came into this business with the benefit of some tr truly great academic teachers uh, at Carnegie Mellon University. So I came in, you know, with a, with a, with a foundation of first principles mm -hmm. and kind of went from there, right? But I think if you come That's in— That's rare. If you come in, uh, well, for sales guys, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to say, but yeah, yeah I appreciate, yeah, appreciate yeah, the yeah. Uh, sensitivity. Uh, but if you come in and you learn particularly derivatives by heuristic, I think you're much more susceptible to, you know, to narrative mediation about what's good and bad. And this comment right. you made before uh, about, you know, we're both in a position where you kind of, you try have to separate the good from bad, you know. Uh, it's a constant challenge, for, I think, for any sales guy who covers institutions on Wall Street to take the content coming at you and either get it to a place or filter it to make sure the right stuff is getting the right guy at the right time. And, uh, you know, sometimes you're saying no internally and sometimes mm -hmm. you're saying no externally. And uh, it's it's a pretty big challenge. Because you know you're being played, right? We, we, we know right. We, we're all being played, right? And, we are, and the, the, the crucial thing is not to be that sucker at the table. Like That's we were right. talking about earlier, the the guy in the cowboy hat with the you know increments of eleven dollars, but that's we we all have that element inside of us, right? Yeah, there's there's no question. I mean, it's uh, I, but my, I guess my point was is it's hard, you know, unless you start with good first principles, you're going to be very susceptible to letting uh, to letting these narratives manipulate you. Uh, Absolutely. You, and, you've uh, got to have a way to plant your feet. And if you don't have that, you're going to get played. You're, and you're going to be the sucker at the table. And you, you don't want to be in a place where, you know, you're just kind of repeating, right? But at the same time, you can't be difficult. Uh, you know, and there's, you know, I, there's customers and styles that I've been very successful with. Mm -hmm. And then there's customers and styles that I've failed fantastically with. And I've learned, you know, I've learned how to change. I think, you know, you and I get along because we just naturally... Uh, communicate with each other in a way that th that we both understand. But, you know, I can't imagine calling you with some of the stuff that gets shown to me. <laughs> right, right. You'd be right. like, <laughs> right? Um, so in that sense, um, you know, we, we both, I think, are trying to inject a level of, uh, of appropriate truth-telling uh, and stripping out the, the silliness and, like, let's just kind of, let's deal with the world as it is rather than, the way we wish it to be. Well, well, here ex exactly right. And, and, and 
and here's where I want to go with this, this notion of the, the variance and expected return. And, and I want to express it in terms of poker. Yeah, sure. As we were talking about in, in, in craps game. So, so, so express those two games for our audience for me in terms of variance and expected return. Yeah, so expected return is what I think is going to happen if I make some series of optimal decisions over the long run. Mm-hmm. So if I have enough trials, I'm going to achieve X return. But as the game evolves, it's not going to, I'm not, I don't just get that return every single time. Sometimes I make a little, sometimes I lose a little, sometimes I make a lot, sometimes I lose a lot. The difference between all of those things on the way to the expected return uh, is variance. It's the path. It's it's well, or all of the paths. Yeah, right, right. right? All of the potential paths. Right. So expectations in math are taken by averages. So we we had a bunch of paths, whether by observation or simulation or you know some numerical method, and then we take an average and we call that the expectation. So uh, in casino games, uh, craps has a negative expectation, right? Jerry Seinfeld has this amazing joke. Uh, I saw him also in a Connecticut casino, mm-hmm. and he says. <laughs> He said, you know, clearly no one wins here. Otherwise, if you could win, this would have, building wouldn't look like this. We would be sitting in a concrete box. So clearly the game has negative expectation. Poker, on the other hand, if you can be both, just depending on how you play the game. You're not playing against house, you're playing against other people. So if you wait patiently and if you follow a strategy and if you know the probabilities over the long run, uh, it, sh- it should actually have a positive expectation. But the difference in variance between the two is quite interesting. So in, in, in craps or all of the casino games, you know, I, I try to explain to people that the house doesn't beat any one person with the expectation. They beat any one person with the variance. Right. They beat everybody as a whole with the expectation. And now what do I mean by that? Because I think this is pretty important. The all of these concepts, whether we're talking about investing or all the stuff I'm talking about now, this is all rooted in central limit theorem, meaning that we have to have lots and lots of trials for these mm-hmm. relationships to hold. Mm-hmm. Now, I come in and I sit on the blackjack table or I, or I throw some dice and I'm, there's only going to be one trial for me. But this casino put some rules in place to make sure that uh, I'm not going to pull one over on them. One of those rules is table limits. Yep. So... I can't have I can't create a situation. Well, actually, I can't do this for two reasons. But right, I, yeah, I, know, I know the second reason. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I, can, I can't create a situation where I sit down blackjack and if I lose, bet like, double it, and then if I lose again, double it, and if I lose again, double it. Right, the Martin Gill. I can't do that because one, they have table limits, and two, I'll run out of money first. They have right. more money than me. Yeah. Okay. But really, the reason that the the people lose their whole bankroll is they come to Vegas and say, okay, I got my 500 bucks. And when I lose my 500 bucks, I'm going to stop, right? And that, and that feels really good. That's like, uh, you know, an internal risk management discipline thing. And, you know, and you should do that. You should have some absolute limit, I guess, before you start to reevaluate your strategy. But it's really those stop losses that create the wins, right? So that's a limit that was self-imposed by the player. I'm going to get, if I catch a bad path, I'm going to hit my limit and stop. So what does that mean? I catch a bad path. It means the variance beat me, not the expectation. But here's the other thing, Devin. So at the same time where, you know, you come in and you said, okay, here's my stop loss, 500 bucks, and the variance will will beat you. You don't also set a stop where you say, if I make $300 or whatever number, I'm going to stop then. Well, you no sh- one ever stops. You should. You should. You should, but no one ever does. So I, I tell people, um, I have a half-brother who's quite a bit younger than me, just turned 21, and and uh, I was trying to teach him how to gamble properly. Um, that's a weird thing to say on a podcast, how to gamble <laughs> properly. Uh, but uh, there's actually a set of, we could talk about that, but I, there's a set of things I mean by that about sizing and this type of stuff. When I say how to gamble properly, I mean how to do it responsibly without blowing yourself up. But, uh, and one of the things I was, uh, I was talking to him about uh, was, was this, this notion of if you're going to play a game or you're going to make an investment, you should have some notion of the, what the distribution of outcomes is 
to the to the left, to the negative outcomes, and to the right, the positive ones. And as you say, you should stop on either one, right? So if I'm playing, if if I'm going to come to the casino, I'm going to play blackjack for four hours a day, okay? Pro- I'd have to check the math on this. I'm just, probably some listener like you're going to get a hate mail. Oh, I'm sure. Of this, no but, doubt. Yeah. Uh, I would. I think by memory, about twenty bets would be two standard deviations. Makes okay? sense. Yeah. So if you're up twenty bets, you probably should stop. You're already like in the you know the top five percent of outcomes, right? Stop. But but you're right. You never do. They, they, they you don't. Never do. Right. I never do. Right. So so anytime I and this happens at all. At some point, while you're sitting down at the blackjack table, you're going to be up. I, I mean, outside. Almost always that's going to be the case, right? And sometimes you're going to get that, that two standard deviation mark, at which point my internal brain goes, hmm, right? I should stop, but no, this is my chance. I, I'm, I'm on some amazing lucky streak, so this is my chance to get life-changing money, right? Right. And, 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 and this, is, this is the eternal fallacy, and, and this, is, this is why. Yeah, so, I mean, I, there's conscious strategy around that, too. Like I, I could have a strategy coming in and saying, all right, I'm going to gamble, but um, if, I make a, if I make 10 or 15 bets, I'm going to stop, right? And there's actually a, f- a fairly higher number, f- there's a higher frequency uh, of those outcomes where I make a small to intermediate amount of money, right? Another strategy might be I'm going to ta- every time I'm up 10 or 15 bets, I'm going to push those back in and get bigger right? and go for the top 2% of outcomes. Now, that's not going to happen very often, but I'm basically willing to trade intermediate gains for the potential of a very large one. Right. right? And, let's and, there's, and that's, a, that's a valid strategy, um, you know, both in investing and in gambling. Right, right. And, and hopefully in investing, it's going to be like poker where you're a good poker player and you're thinking that you've got a positive expected return, right? So, but, but in, in poker, as in investing, it's boring. It's boring to, to, to play, I'll say properly, to get that positive expected return. And that's what kills you too. Yeah. I, you know, poker, you know, like I said, you could play for six hours and have four interesting situations. Actually, four would probably be pretty good. Yeah probably two interesting situations. Um, but then the variance problem manifests itself in a different way in poker, right? I, we talk, you know, I made the joke about getting it in bad, sucking it out, and going yeah. and having a drink. I mean, yeah. you, know, you can get it in right f- frequently, okay? But you can still get it in right, and it doesn't work out, right? And that's the difference between uh, risk and uncertainty, right? You... Um, in previous po- in, in previous podcasts, you guys have talked about uh, this concept of mini max regret. Yeah, right? yeah, I want to come back to that. So, also. You're right. So, mini max regret plays a very important part in tournament poker, because in in unlike the cash game in tournament poker, you have to worry about staying in the tournament. That's right. You have one and, life, and right, and you comp- so that completely alters your decision set in a way that says, I actually might be able to get it in. Good, but if I can only if maybe I'm a fifty-five percent favorite, right? In a cash game, I take that I take that five percent edge every time, right? I, I have you know so there's some in my mind there's some population of hands that they have. I know what I have. I know what the distribution of cards that might come is, and I have a five percent edge. I'm going to take it. Early in a tournament, you wouldn't take the five percent right. edge for your whole stack, right? You just wouldn't because it's not worth it, right? So this notion of minimizing your maximum regret. In the, in the case of the tournament, your maximum regret would be is knocked out of the tournament. Um, it completely changes the way you make this decision, right? Yeah. So th- there's all these wonderful linkages between game playing and uh, and investing that uh, I'm really fascinated. Well, well we're going to come back to this concept of minimax regret at the end because I'll 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 preview this for, for for listeners. Where we're going with all of this is what it really struck me in the presentation you made today, Devin, where you were talking about how in investing. We've only got one trial, right? We've right. only got one trial at this, and and you you, you made an, an analogy to that to the casino. So so yeah. So I mean, imagine. Well, f- first let me say in investing, and you know, you as a manager uh, face this uh, the situation where the tool set and the framework that we all talk in expected returns, variance. These are all concepts borrowed from math and statistics, right? But these are all concepts that to really work, rely on the central limit theorem, which means 
you know, we're, we're going to have to have some minimum number of observations. Well, in investing, or kind of my single poker hand example, there's only one trial. It's n equals one trial. So imagine, you know, if if a casino were were perfectly like investing, imagine coming here to the win and getting a meeting with, you know, whatever vice president uh, <laughs> is in charge of picking games, you know, and you say, listen, I've got a great game, like you know, in Ocean's Eleven. In Ocean's right? Eleven, and I was going to say, this enough is, said, enough right? said, yeah, enough said. Uh, you know, imagine a game. Uh, where you pitch the guy and you're like, here's all the edge, and here, here's just what we think is going to happen, and you know, is you know, is he, and and the 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 casino owner character says, you know, is that clocked? Is that verified? And you say yes, and you get to the end of the conversation, and then you say, okay, but each player only gets to do it once. Once, all right. <laughs> so like, I mean, the guy would be like, why am I even in this meeting? Yeah. This is ins- like, what's wrong with this guy? So you know, casinos. Uh, the old-time casino guys have this saying that the strength is in the game, meaning that there's there's the game is going to get the players either by the in the aggregate mm-hmm. by the expected value, or um, by the individually variance. by the variance. The strength is in the game. You don't need to do anything else except stand there, deal the game, and and let the math take over, right? But in in investing. You know, we talk, we try to use those concepts. Well, we right. don't try. We do. We, we do. We, we use those My concepts. God, yeah. And it, it's it's not that they're perfectly invalid. It's just that uh, maybe the religiousness around them is a little too intense. Because in the end, we're only going to do it once. So I showed a back test today to the audience. And I said, okay, so, you know, I'm making this statement that if you, instead of doing this, you might do that. And here's my data that says I'm right. But I kind of also have to say, you know, n equals one. It, I was right this time, right? Really, the question you need to ask yourself is: Is it reasonable to expect that I will continue to be right based on my view of of regime and environment? And uh, that's why I think some of your work is so important because you're one of the few guys that looks at what might happen in non-econometric terms, right? And provides a tool set to say. You know, this is this is what narrative mediation is, and these are these are what this is the role of a missionary, and it's you ignoring the fact that the game is here is a mistake. You are a player in the game, whether you like it or not. Right, whether you like it or not. You know, but know what's going on so that you can try to separate what should happen from what will happen. Well, I want to dig into the the the, the specific. Um, uh, I'll call it innovation, right? So that that you've been talking about. Not only as a plug for it, right? Because I think it's pretty, pretty, pretty cool. But really, it's it's about how this this whole process of how do you know, right? How do you know if it flies, yep. right? And and so what what you are describing today, and again, we're gonna it, it's it's we're, we're talking about the concept of variance. You're an equity derivatives guy, right? So it's an option, right? And it's and it's why don't you describe for 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 the listening audience the what well, the idea here is to try to, uh, I'll say, hedge a portfolio. Right. Right. And one kind of common way of doing this in equities is to do what's called a put spread. Right. Right. So why don't you kind of just describe for the audience what a put spread is, and then we'll talk about this, I think, pretty novel idea that you have, and then we'll talk about how do we know if it flies. Right. So... Let's say that uh, you know I'm just long the market and I like owning the upside and I even can take some amount of some amount of, of, of downside pain if things sell off. But it's going to get to the point where I don't I, you know I, I, I can't take that pain anymore or I don't want to. So I want to have some protective trade. So people will buy what's called a put spread, which means I buy you know we'll just take you know S and P at twenty four hundred ish. I buy a 2300 strike put on the S&P meaning that that is more valuable as the market sells off mm-hmm. and if it were to expire with the market trading below 2300 you make the difference between 2300 and where it expires right so it has mark to market gains between now and, and that's just when a it pure expires. put so you, right. you could you could hedge just by buying downside protection that's with exactly. a put option right well, I can turn that into what's called a put spread by buying the 2300 put and then maybe selling the 2100 put. 
So now I have this thing that's 200 points wide. If the market, anything below 2100, I don't get anymore because I've sold that back to the market. Right. So if the market, if we, if we pin right at 2100 on an expiry, I make 200 points and I get nothing below that. If we can go down to 500, I don't make any more it's, money. It's a way of making your purchase of that put option, that original put option, in your example, the 2300 strike price, it's a way of making that cheaper. That's right. It's a way of making it cheaper, but it's, that's a little incomplete. You're also yeah. getting less. You're right? getting less. So no, you're, of course, right. You're, There's you're, no such thing as a free lunch. Yeah. Right. You're, yeah. you know, you're the, of the distribution of outcomes that might happen, you're only protected, you're protected from a slice of it instead of kind of just everything from the strike and to the left on the downside. Well, and, and this is where I'm going with it, right? Because there, there, there are obviously two ways to make the purchase of this protection cheaper. I could buy less of it. Right. Or as you're describing, I can sell off right, the protection of a particular piece, you know, a piece of this that's way, way out of the money in, in right. put. So the, yeah, so the way you learn this at Carnegie Mellon is they, they talk a lot about this concept of state contingent cash flow, right? So that's, that's, that's what options are. They're, they are agreements to exchange some cash contingent mm -hmm. on what's going to happen uh, at some unknown state in the future. So, you know, I, I get I get the money. I get the 200 points between, you know, between 2300 and 2100 and I sold off everything below that. So I to help me finance the higher the higher strike or what we call the higher delta part of the distribution. So what we're talking about today is so that's fine, but it's still kind of expensive. Mm -hmm. You know, what there are derivatives in the over-the-counter market that allow you to go even further. So you can start creating contingencies that say if volatility is below some level, it it's a regular put. But if volatility is high enough, I don't have anything anymore. It just it, we just rip it up. It's called right? a knockout. All right, this is it's called a, a volatility knockout option. So this isn't something that would ever be available in a retail context. But I, I think it's I think to your point, it it's makes an interesting example uh, in terms of market volatility and risk reward. But, but let me make sure the audience understands. So so these are called exotics, right? That's or, right. Or, in each case, kind of kind of light exotics, right? Yes. There's, yeah. But in, in the notion that you can have knock-ins, you can have knock-outs, it's just another contingency you're putting on the, the contract, on the option. In this case, a knock-out means that if, all right, this, this, this put option, as the market goes down, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some money. But if it goes down too far, the option gets knocked out. That's right. And then it's not worth anything. And then it's not worth anything. And and because there's some probability of that knockout occurring, the price for that derivative is even less. That's right. So it'll, you know these these types of this this is part of a broader family of derivatives called barrier options. the The purpose of the barrier is to allow the investor to take some view that they have or agree with, and essentially they're going to chop out state contingent cash flow in states that they don't care about, right? Um, so our contention at uh, is that, or I should say my contention, is that you don't need, you know, people tend to overbuy protection. For sure. Right? Um, buying insurance, like, feels pretty awesome. You know, I mean, there's a whole insurance business that has figured <laughs> this out. Um, and financial, you know, protection from financial outcomes is definitely part of this family. So um, you can actually take a portion of your hedge budget and dedicate it to start to these types of barrier options, achieve much higher notionals, and, and actually end up hedging the part of the distribution that you care the most about, without without overpaying for other stuff that is less frequent or maybe even outside your mandate. Right, and, and so it's it's that again that ten dollar phrase, right? So so hedging that piece of the distribution that I want to talk about because what 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 I liked about the way you're thinking about this is that you're starting, I'll say, from a deductive point of view. Right, you're not you're not approaching this from a position of, well, um, you know, I'm going to try lots of different things and I'm going to see what works in a in a particular historical case, the only one we've got. Right, what I want to do is I'm going to say, look, there there are clients who, you know, they 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 need they want to have some protection, but not against the whole range of outcomes. Right, it's a potential. Yeah, and part in fact, of that. that would be very very prohibitively expensive. Yeah, right? Exactly. Right. So, so this is what I really like about it is that is the, what you're trying to do is you're trying to solve a particular problem. But the other thing I liked was in, in the, the honesty with which you're describing the outcomes, 
right? Because in, in some of these scenarios you're describing, right, if you include particular time periods, the, you know, the, the, the right way to have done this would have been one way or another, right? If you um, pick certain dates on the, 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 the expiry of these options, yeah. Right. The, the the entire, you know, back tested results look very different depending on, on, on what you choose. Yeah, that's right. Right. And so this goes back to this notion of we've only got one path that we can test this against. And what you find so often in our line of work is that someone comes to you and they say, here you go. Here's the answer. Because, in fact, they've tested all the different, I'll say, permutations of this idea, yeah. found the one that gives the best metrics, whatever those metrics are that are important to us, right? And say, well, voila, there's your answer. Yeah, to which I say, maybe. To which you say, yeah. maybe. So, you know, I think uh, people have kind of forgotten scientific method in finance, right? And and I, I don't mean that to suggest that finance is a hard science, because it's it's social it's totally not i mean you know this is a social science more but so we can still uh there's a there's an amount of scientific method i feel like gets skipped a little too often right so someone in the audience i think quite rightly asked me well you know i only have well you only have one data set you know he you know he, he's basically saying you only have one path in a different way right. yeah um you know so how do i get comfortable that that these that these back tests or these things work and and my answer is, well, you know, use the data that you can, but more importantly, you know, scientific method starts with, I, I have a thesis, then I go and collect data, and I do analysis to prove or disprove my, my hypothesis, my thesis. So I think that where you start from in these analyses matters quite, uh, you know, quite a bit. So if, you know, somebody were to come to you uh, as, at the, in your role as CIO, and you say, I, I have this great trade for you, I think what you want to hear first, what you need to hear first is, this is my thesis, why I believe this to be true. This is your theory for how the world works. Right. And, and, and then, and this is what you might do about it. But often it doesn't come with that wrapper, does it? It, it comes never come, or it, rarely comes it, with it. Wrapper. It comes with a wrapper of, well, I have this thing that, ha that has works. worked really well in the past. Uh, and then you, then you ask the question, okay, well, you know, how did this whole thing come about? And, and all too often, I think what you might hear is, well, we tried a bunch of things and this one looked the best. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's, a, you know, that's a challenging thing to deal with. Listen, it's I, a I disqualifier. It's a disqualifier for me. And, and this is the big point that I want to get across in this question of, of does it work? Does it fly? Right. That to answer that question, one must start not with an inductive observation of, well, oh, I saw the plane fly today. That, look, that's going to be a, 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 a part of your analysis, right? But where it has to start is what is your theory in, in our world about how the way the world works or the way that markets work, the way that humans behave in markets? What's, what's your theory about the way the world works? And then work from that to how I'm going to test it and how I'm going to, to actually evaluate whether that, 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 that's true or not, whether it flies. So in the, in, you know, a lot of the work I'm doing now on, on uh, artificial intelligence, or is, you know, is, I'd rather call it you know, non-human intelligence to avoid that pejorative yeah. artif artificial bit. But whenever I hear someone say, okay, we've trained this AI on this historical data from some you know, price series or the like, that we're now going to use to to use the AI, and the, the, this the, the term at that point has no meaning, right? The, the the term AI has no meaning to me, because it's not based on any notion of an, an intelligence trying to figure yeah. out. Yeah, you, you started with the conclusion. You started with the conclusion. You started with the conclusion. You know, and logic is called begging the question. You know, there there are lots of, of of ways to express this, but this is the fatal flaw, I think, and the first thing that anyone needs to focus on when they're trying to evaluate the question, does it fly? It's not the observation of did it work historically or in this example right here and now if you're at Kitty Hawk, but the question is what is the theory that this is based on and does it have that theory?
You know, and, and, and so that, again, I'm going to get back to this, this notion about what, what you're trying to come up with is a, a, a better mousetrap, a less expensive, more effective mousetrap for hedging a particular part, again, if we're calling it the distribution, right? So we're not trying to hedge away the tail risk, you know, the disaster risk of, you know, the markets are, 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 are crushed. We've all got other problems then, right? We're trying to hedge with whatever instrument you're using, you've got an idea for doing it more effectively or efficiently, a certain portion of the downside here. Right? Right. And what I would argue to you is that solves, in my mind, my theory about how our business works. Right. So let's say I'm managing a portfolio. Right? For my, my business risk of managing this portfolio, my career risk, let's say, if you can imagine managing a portfolio in certain you know, occupations in, in, in our business, right? Our career risk is not that the entire world goes to hell and I'm caught up in that, right? That's, that's, that's not my risk. My, my, my bigger risk is the world does okay to up a little bit where I simply by the variance, simply by being a little unlucky in my portfolio, I'm down a little bit. Yeah, so you, I, I was listening to the, the big compute podcast in the car last weekend and uh you made this you know i i thought it was funny at least this comment about talking to potential investors and you're like okay well i'm gonna put this thing together for you and uh we'll find out in 10 years if i'm right yeah i mean i mean you, you I, mean I, it I, I kind e, of as a I joke e, but I, I, a pension fund cio yeah i mean you're me. You you said it kind of as a joke but i mean unfortunately that's where we all are like if you if you want the Ultimate answer. I mean, you actually are going to have to wait ten years. That's right, right. So, to to an extent, everything up until that point is uh, is is narrative. People trying to manipulate the narrative or find some story to explain what's happening and why it's happening, right? Until, yeah. Until we actually know the one path that will emerge, and uh, and this there is- are there are good storytellers and there are bad storytellers, and there are you know, and there are truth tellers who are not good storytellers. And uh, they don't finish first. Usually. They don't. They don't. So, and this was the kind of the my kicker for for the presentation today. It's not just markets where storytelling and narrative creation and mediation is so important. It's our business. It's the business of any corporation. It's it, it's it's any management of any entity in the world. So, and I mean this in a couple of ways. I know some some really good CEOs, right, who can't tell the story of their company to save their life, to save their life. Yeah, right. Maybe they're a great operator. They're great operators. They can't tell the story, and in this environment in particular, those stocks get killed. Right. They get killed. Whereas, and and look in in our business as well. I'll, I'll talk the investment management business. You know, if I had to pick some of the most successful investment managers out there, I'll throw it to you. So, so, so AQR and Bridgewater. Right? I know exactly what they're all about. It's not just that they are really good investors and really smart investors, and they are, but it's also that they tell their story. Yeah, amazingly well. Amazingly well. Right. Well, you know, I think uh – yeah, brand. Wow, brand matters so much. I mean, we talk a lot, you know, at the bank and you know, even at the level of our desk. Like, what you know, you call Deutsche Bank to do to trade in equity. Like, you know, why why do you call us? You know, what is, what is right. your what is your brand? What is your what is your message? What do you stand for? And those two examples that you gave, you know, are excellent examples. Everyone in the world knows exactly what those two firms stand for. Right. And I'm making more of like a sales comment than I am a than, than a finance one. But but wow, is that critically important? Because it's critically important because all these decisions are, or a lot, not all of them, so many of these investment strategies we're talking about, you don't know for sure, does it fly until some years down the road? Right. So because, the, the, you know, we, we, we're all, we, and we believe in our heart of hearts that our investment strategies have a positive expected value, right? So it's not like playing craps or a casino game where we think in the long run we're going to lose. But all of us, whether we're playing a casino game or got an investment strategy, we suffer the slings and arrows of variance. Yeah. We suffer those slings and arrows. And so 
time, just being unlucky could make it that, well, we don't look so good. And we won't know for sure until all that time is expired because right. we've only got one path. We only get one shot at this. Can we can we actually go back to the the, the big compute thing for a minute? I, yeah. I uh, I was I was listening to again. I was listening to podcast in the car last Sunday, and uh, I was reminded of this scene in a uh, the John Nash movie uh, Beautiful Mind, mm-hmm. and it's early in the movie, and he uh, you know hasn't been successful yet. And he's, you know, he's trying to, to pitch his thesis. And, right. and, you know, the movie, I think, I'm not making a, this isn't a pejorative statement about John Nash. I think the movie's pretty clear. He had a little trouble selling it at first. Right? For sure. And, uh, but he's undeterred, right? Because uh, he's following his process that, that, that starts deductively, right? But he says at one point this thing that has resonated and stuck with me for years, and he and someone's trying to convince him that he's wrong, and he says, no, it's governing dynamics. You have to get, he's like, I'm going to find the governing dynamics. And, you know, in his case, that that was the first inkling of, of cooperative game theory. Mm-hmm. And that's what high computational power that can deal with high-dimensional problems stands to do in global markets, I, I, I think, right? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the first one to, this is, you know, this is a completely new area to me, but the idea that, that, that markets are comprised not of, not of the econometric automatons that, that, that some people would, would have us believe, but are instead comprised of humans that each have their own, their, their own utility functions and respond to their own incentives. There ought to be a way to add them up, if you if you just had enough computational power, enough data to deal with a very high well, dimensional well, it, problem. It, You've got to be able if, to get down to governing dynamics. Yeah. It, it's that if that's changed just in the last few years, and I, and I think will change significantly more in the in in the years to come. That if of do you have the processing power, right? So 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 historically, we've always had to make pretty significant simplifying assumptions. We all do. We all have in our head our model about how the world works. Sometimes we're explicit about it. Sometimes it's just embedded in what we do and how we behave. And now, really, I think for the first time, it's possible to start, well, do we really need a model? Do we need that simplification? Or can we, in fact, process and see, as you're saying, the dynamics of everything all at once? And it's, it's a hard concept to, 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 to wrap your head around. It, 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 it really is. Right? But it's, it's, it's also different, and, and it relates back to, to, to what we're talking about here, which is that it does not lend itself to back tests, right? It doesn't right. lend itself to regression analysis to see what's the, you know, what's the mean reversion potential here, right? Oh, it's human it, behavior. It's, that's right. That's right. It's, it's a forward-looking thing, not a backward-looking thing. And, and so what the, the, the challenge I have in describing to someone, well, does it work? Does it fly? Right. It, 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 I, I have to the, the only good conversations I have are with people who understand or understand that that sounds like the people who don't agree with what I'm saying don't understand. Many of them do. They just don't agree. If I right. if I uh, and I know very little about big data, I'm just I'm totally making this up. But if I were to, if, to give a book, if I were to train an algorithm and I could only give it a book, I would I wouldn't give it the general theory. I'd give it human action by Mises, mm-hmm. right? That to me uh, means so much more for explaining, particularly volatility dynamics, right? I mean, in my world, it's it's all about it's, it's all about implied volatility. But you know, like really, what is it? It's the sum of biases and right. and, and human action. That's right. And and human and sentiment and fear and greed and and that's what these prices. That's what these prices are. But, but you see, and this is where I, I get so excited about you know our two research programs, right? Because because what we're what we're trying to do is we're trying to externalize what good traders, investors, and the like have internalized all these years, right? right? That that that's all we're talking about doing is trying to be explicit and to try to externalize this, and it's a very different way of thinking, right? Than a traditional backtest, regression, overfitted data with all the pitfalls that, that, we're, that we're all really aware of. Because it's stemming from that theory of how the world works, 
ideas of not only what the behavior of an individual of an individual is, but what's the strategic interaction of individuals. Right. That's game theory. Yeah. That's I'll, what game theory is. And I now mean, we have the, the, the processing power to try to analyze it all at once, altogether. I mean, I will tell you that in my in my role calling institutional customers with trade ideas, that's a big part of what I do. Yeah. Let's say I had two trade ideas. One was uh, I had some some trade that had a back test, and I could I could show you. Even let's pretend it was a very very clean back test. Mm-hmm. I followed all the best practices. It's very it's very robust. We robust can change all the assumptions. Right. You know, yep, so yep, let's yep. pretend. Let's just give me stipulate for me that the back test is great and and well done. And I had a back test, but I didn't have. I still didn't have a good governing dynamic. Of why this trade works. The why. That's what. Right. Say, say, so let, let, so yeah. in, in, in trade one, I don't have the why. Okay. In trade two, I have a view that something is going to happen in the future. In the future, and for the purpose of our example, that something has never happened before. It will be the first time, and I think the market is mispricing it. But I don't have any historical experience to to compare it to. Not because I don't I didn't run a back test, but because it does not exist. Okay. Trade number one has a probability of happening. It's low, but yeah. it's non-zero. Yeah. I'm telling you, the trade number two is like one half of one percent we're gonna do that trade. And you know, my in my twelve years of being on an equity derivative sales desk, I am constantly amazed that of of that dynamic. Right. That even even giving everything we're saying. It's still a job, right? People still have career risk. There's st- if the trade doesn't go well, they're able to hold up this thing and say, I did this trade for those reasons, and, and here was the historical data, and like, yeah, we got unlucky. But do the second trade, and and all that you can say is, well, well my view was wrong. So And that is a, in a level of career risk that's really unacceptable for a lot of people. It, it, it is, because it requires, I'll call it a level of... of I was going to call it bravery, but it requires a level of autonomy that's just really hard to, uh, to, to, to have in an institutional world. It's really hard to find. Right. And, and so, look, I, well, well, I, I want to wrap this, th- th- this up because where I wanted to, to, to go with this, this question of, you know, does it fly? Does it really? Right. I believe it is that question of governing dynamics, right, which means the theory, which means the why, that's the first thing that anyone who's confronted with a proposition, the first thing you have to, to evaluate is the why. It's the governing dynamics. And, and that goes against so much of what we think we should be doing. Because we think, well, you know, I've got this career risk. I've got to see the, you know, the back test and the like. This has been a point we've brought up in these podcasts before. I... I can make data work, right? Right. Right. And so can you. And there are a lot of people who don't have much intellectual honesty who can make that data yeah. work. But, but I think we've both agreed not to use our powers for evil. Well, I, I'd like to think so. That's yeah. right. I, and, I, and, I, and I know that's the case for, 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 for you. I, I think <laughs> right. but, but yes, that, that's right. It's to avoid using those powers for evil. But there are a lot of people out there who have not yeah. made that, 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 that kind yeah, of choice. Or, or, or they – I actually I – don't, I don't think there's a – I wouldn't go that far. I wouldn't say. I mean, I make that as nah, a joke. I, know. Like, I'm I, I, I'm I always, I, I always laugh at this idea of you know. I, as you said, I am of Wall Street. I, I go there every day, and I, I sit in the big room, <laughs> and uh, promise. I promise you when I tell you that there are none, and by none I mean zero, like uh, mustache twirling villains, right? In, at investment at, at the investment bank, there are not. Okay, um, but. Do we sometimes arm a salesperson, uh, or or does someone get an idea that, that that you know maybe they don't mean to be they they, they don't realize they're kind of falling that's they're, right they're, they're committing some of these backtesting errors or you know it's not malicious right but it, it happens sometimes right well it's incumbent on all of us right not to be the sucker at the table right not to be the guys who are saying with the cowboy hat making the increment in $11 bets. Yeah, oh by the way, I don't that guy is not the sucker. He is <laughs> the, right. he right. is the narrative mediator. <laughs> Do you know this guy? Do you know who I'm talking about? No. I oh, don't. Okay, I, I thought don't. maybe you ran into him. No, that's right. He's a real guy. <laughs> oh, I'm sure, I'm sure he is. I'm sure he, he plays is. here at the win. Right. By where I where I think though is is that it it 
it, it's so hard because it goes against so much of what we think is the way the world should work. We should see that airplane flying, right? And that's going to be our proof that this works. And that is part of it. Look, that's, that's absolutely part of it. But for so many of these, particularly financial strategies, where we've only got one shot at this, we've only got one path, and it's going to be some number of years before we really know if that airplane flew or not, that's the thing, right? It's, for most, of these, most investment strategies, it's a number of years before you'll know for sure whether that airplane flew or not. Right. Well, you, I mean, if you have to decide, like, how, I mean, what's your decision-making criteria going to be? There, there's all kinds of cases where things can be a, a high expectation but a poor risk-reward, right? And then there's things can be a low or even negative expectation but an ter absolutely terrific risk-reward. Right, so there's this whole debate going on right now about the the, the short volatility mm -hmm. trade, right? And should I re should I continue to be short vol? I mean, even here at the conference, there was you know, let's call it aggressive open debate during one of the sessions about the different sides of this. And um, I, I'm not actually of the opinion that there's a right side. I mean, but generally speaking, there's a group of people that believe that. You shouldn't be selling vol at these levels. It's a bad risk-reward. But interestingly, it's still a positive expectation. Absolutely right. right. So then there's another camp of people saying, well, I mean, okay, fine. It's a bad risk-reward, but it's still positive expectation. I'm just going to size myself appropriately. You know, like, okay, so the risk-reward has gone down, so I'm just going to be smaller. But I'm not going to stop. You could take what the market is giving you. I mean, that's an old, that's an old, an old trader saying, right? So... And by the way, both of them can be right. Both can be right. 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 So this this notion of bad, I don't want to say bad prices, um, this notion of bad risk reward but high expectancy versus low expectancy with great risk reward, those that actually isn't a debate that has to be reconciled. It's just a matter of sizing. Well, and it's a matter of knowing thyself. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and this is going to be the topic when I have you back, Devin. So, so, so we're gonna we're gonna dig into that one uh, when we come back. But for this episode, I just can't thank you enough. We are well, here. Th thanks for having me. I mean, it's it's really, it's it's a it's a it's a terrific honor to be part of the Epsilon Theory. Uh, well, you universe. are. You 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 are you are an important part, and uh, this is this is a conversation to be continued. Thank okay. you, Devin. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Devin. It was great to meet you. And special thanks to Robert McGlinchey and the fine folks at EQ Derivatives for putting on the conference and helping us find a place to record this episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Imagine, like, okay, I've got this great casino game, and you only get to do it once. They'd be like, <laughs> once, once per customer, that's what you get to do. This commentary is being provided to you by individual personnel of Salient Partners LP and affiliates, and is provided as general information only and should not be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in these materials represent the personal views of the author and do not necessarily represent the opinions of Salient. It is not investment research or research recommendation, as it does not constitute substantive research or analysis. Any action that you take as a result of information contained in this podcast is ultimately your responsibility. Salient will not accept liability for any loss or damage, including without limitation to any loss of profit, which may arise directly or indirectly from use of or reliance on such information. Consult your investment advisor before making any investment decisions. It must be noted that no one can accurately predict the future of the market with certainty or guarantee future investment performance. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Salient is not responsible for any third-party content that may be accessed through this website. The distribution or photocopying of salient information contained on or downloaded from this site is strictly prohibited without the express written consent of salient. Statements in this podcast are forward-looking statements. The forward-looking statements and other views expressed herein are as of the date of this publication. Actual future results or occurrences may differ significantly from those anticipated in any forward-looking statements, and there is no guarantee that any predictions will come to pass. 
The views expressed herein are subject to change at any time due to numerous market and other factors. Salient disclaims any obligation to update publicly or revise any forward-looking statements or views expressed herein. This information is neither an offer to sell nor a solicitation of any offer to buy any securities. Any offering or solicitation will be made only to eligible investors and pursuant to any applicable private placement memorandum or other governing documents, all of which must be read in their entirety. Salient commentary has been prepared without regard to the individual financial circumstances and objectives of persons who receive it. Salient recommends that investors independently evaluate particular investments and strategies and encourage investors to seek the advice of a financial advisor. The appropriateness of a particular investment or strategy will depend on an investor's individual circumstances and objectives.